When I grew up, I played Little League, second base, third base, outfield. I was a very good utility defender. And for a while, I was a very good hitter as well. And then pitchers started throwing curveballs. That was game over for me. But I still had many years of solid Little League play. We routinely made it to the playoffs. We were doing well in our different leagues, won a few championships. It was delightful to see. And we were always trying to find ways that maybe we could bend the rules a little bit. If we were in a league where you couldn't lead off from first base, for example, We'd get like a little, you know, you'd, you'd reach as far as you could, like you were doing this crazy lunge. Some of the leagues had rules where you couldn't be off the base when the pitch was thrown, but then you could kind of take a little running start. So we'd have people getting like halfway to second base, just trying to time these rules, really poking at the edges of innovation, just finding ways around it. Maybe not quite cheating because it was still within the rules. But as in many walks of life, there is quite the thin line between being cunning, being innovative, being savvy and straight out cheating and being fraudulent and against the rules and that's the focus of the new book intentional Bach: baseball's thin line between innovation and cheating by dan levitt and mark armor i'm joined by dan levitt in this episode who's talking all about some of the innovation of baseball over the years and what pitchers players teams have done to maybe skirt the rules a little bit there's a lot of kind of gray areas in there what we might see in the future we could see baseball fields look entirely different thanks to new rules that are coming out over the next few years. But there's lots of exciting stuff that's going on too. So this book covers a lot of that. This conversation covers a lot of that. We're also talking about some of our favorite memories, some favorite guys we remembered seeing growing up, and a couple of plays that are so ridiculous. I'm dropping them in the show notes because they are fantastic. I highly recommend watching them. You will get a laugh in both cases. And that's, that's really all you, you want to do in life is laugh a little more. We've got plenty of laughs in this episode. I'm Joey Held. You're listening to Good People, Cool Things. And here's a conversation with Dan Levitt. To kick it off, can you give us your name and your elevator pitch, but also the type of elevator that we're riding on? Uh, It's Dan Levitt, and I guess we're on a high-speed elevator. And, you know, our book is on the fine line between cheating and innovation in baseball and how it's been going on for a long time and the context around it. And it seems like baseball in particular, there's like that cloud of of cheating around it. You know, like the steroid era was probably the first real taste that I got of it, um, you know, back in the the 90s with all the home run chasing. But even before then, you know, it's pitchers using substances on their hands. Like the days of the the baseballs in like the early 1900s where it would be like so obscured, batters couldn't even see it, like that kind of chaos. So so why is that? Why does baseball seem to be like, I don't want to say a sport for cheaters, but like why does it seem to introduce cheating? Well, I I don't know that baseball really uh, has more cheaters than any other sport. I I think a couple of things specifically to your question, though, is the rule book is just bigger. And so I think that there's just more intricacies in in baseball of ways you can cheat on the field or off. You know, you think of maybe a basketball game or a soccer game, and it's there just doesn't seem to be as many little ways to do it. I mean, maybe you can flop or you can step on the end line and. But, you know, in baseball, there's all the stuff with the bat, with the ball, with, with PEDs. There's all the things going on in the field. There's the ro- there's the complicated roster rules. There's sign stealing. It just seems like there's because of the rule. book. And the other thing is just that the rule book is long, partially because people just coming up, kept coming up with sort of, well, let's see, how I, how can I get around that rule? And then, OK, well, we better change the rule book to make sure we're covering that exception. 
Do you have a favorite uh, obscure rule that's in the rule book? I don't know that I have a favorite obscure rule book, but rule, excuse me, but the Bach, which which is in the title, is obviously really interesting in, in many ways because it came about really at the beginning of baseball. And the idea was that the, you, you wanted to encourage at least somewhat the running game so the pitcher couldn't fake a throw, you know, a pitch home to the batter and then get the runner when the runner thought he was going home. And so the rule is, it, it was sort of set in stone by about the end of the 19th century, although it's been modified a little bit since then. But the idea that you can't try and deceive the runner is really kind of interesting because if you think of other sports, I mean, deception is part of the game. I mean, that's what you do, though. Play action pass in football, right? You're pretending to run and then you throw it. And so just this idea behind the fact that you can't deceive the runner by pretending to go home, I, I, I just found that, I mean, that's been around forever. But when you think about it in context, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. And I, maybe this is just me being a, a bad viewer, but I feel like half the time when I see a Bach in action, I was like, I didn't see the pitcher do anything. Like, it looks like he's just standing there. Well, yeah, I mean, part of it is moved beyond that, right? You have to pause with the ball. I mean, that's a lot of, you know, a lot of Bachs are, are called when the pitcher doesn't pause when he's in his windup. So, yeah, I mean, or, you know, if a pitcher stumbles while he's on the mound in his motion, that, that's a Bach. And of course, you know, next year now, if a pitcher throws a pickoff for that third time you know the rules changing we only allowed two pickoff attempts and if you throw the third time and you don't get the batter then the batter gets to uh or excuse me you don't get the runner then the runner gets to advance the base so uh they're adding on another way that one can you know a runner can get a free base i personally enjoy that rule i think i the the pickoff attempts i'm like let's keep them down let's keep them down <laughs> keep the game moving now that but that brings up a good point about kind of the evolution of the rules and you were saying how rules get added as players find ways around the current rules so can you this uh, of course this is kind of a, a loaded question but how has cheating and innovation in baseball kind of evolved over the years well i mean there, there's there i'd say there's two sort of sides to it one is that as new stuff is introduced to society whether it's baseball or anywhere people figure out a way to take advantage of it the Initial example is that modern prison binoculars were invented in 1894. And by 1899, the Philadelphia Phillies were using them to try and steal signs uh, from center field. You, you know, then the, on the other hand, or, you know, you could say the same thing about spider tack, you know, the, the, the goop that um, pitchers are using to get that extra grip that makes such a big deal. Um, and then on the other hand, there's actually innovations within the game. So Branch Rickey, who's uh, most famous for, you know, signing Jackie Robinson, he also invented the farm system. Before the farm system, teams were minor league teams were essentially independent, and they played like every you know they played to win their pennant like every other like major league teams did. Well, he sort of invented this concept of tying them to a major league team, and but you know ten years later, Judge Landis, the commissioner, released and made free agents seventy four players from his farm system because. He was illegally, what was called, quote, covering them up, not allowing them to graduate, you know, after a certain amount of time in the minors and then go to other teams. He was manipulating them between teams. So, you know, there's also the innovation of trying to figure out a way to work better within the system and then going over the line. So, is, I mean, that sounds like maybe one of like a questionable uh, sort of innovation use. Are there some other ones that kind of jump to mind over whether it's, it's you know, Major League Baseball as a whole or maybe individual teams, 
trying to innovate that maybe maybe it fell flat or just you know kind of blew up in their face well again i think that the farm system you know was one where you 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 went too far um you know i don't know if you call it innovation because a certain way it's just straight out cheating but the g graves gm john capolella was you know put on the permanently ineligible list because of his actions in trying to get around the Latin American signing rules around the how much you could pay in bonuses out of the bonus pool by you know giving money to you know people that was then maybe redistributed um, to as a way to get around some of those rules. So again, here you have you have these Latin American people are signing Latin American players. The, the leagues thinks they're paying too much, so they they create all these rules to. Um, get their arms around that and, and 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 limit bonuses, and then you have people trying to get around those those limits. And now there's very very specific rules as to how you can sign uh, foreign players. So you have sort of a wide open system that it gets cl- sort of closed. People try and get around that, and then it, you know the rules are codified even more direct. This isn't a rule, but when I was kind of learning a little bit about the book, and and I definitely want to talk about kind of the the thin line i mean this is like within the title too of that that line between being cunning and innovative and straight out cheating and i i think i i know uh, bill veck got um got quoted as one of the you know one of the i forget the exact quote but like how you know it's about the elasticity of the the rules like you don't want to break them but you want to test how elastic they are the demolition disco night is one of my favorite baseball promotions ever because of how ridiculous it was in the first place but just you know how how out of control it got that jumped to mind as an innovation for me even though it's obviously not like a rule in baseball but i guess that's a a, i really just wanted to include that demolition disco in there it's not really a question related to that but (laughs) right but going back to kind of that line between dishonest play you know being like straight up cheating versus Maybe being a little more cunning, being a little more innovative. What what does that line sort of look like for players? Well, it's very nuanced to the line moves. It depends on the line, sort of how you're thinking. So, for example, um, early pitchers in, in the very first days, 1850s, 1860s, you had to pitch underhand. And, you know, you can obviously throw harder if you can move your arm up a little bit, throw a sidearm, or you can, you can do more with the ball. And so pitchers started to bring their arms up. And at one point, for example, um, you weren't allowed to bring your arm above your hip. That was sort of an intermediate rule in the 1870s. And of course, players trying to get around that, they just hiked their pants up higher. And so it looked like their, you know, their arm was, uh, you know, coming down a little bit lower. Um, but, you know, I mean, I, I would just say that, that, that there, if, there's, if there's a way to get around a rule to the advantage, um, you know, many people, many people will try it. Again, I, I would say, you know, this high-speed video, um, as the recent innovation has has affected in in a couple of ways, one is with the spider tack and this ability to you know to, to to do pitches. You can do a pitch design. You know, Whitey Ford or someone for the Yankees back you know for the Yankees back in the day, maybe he was using Vaseline and you would put it on your fingers and throw the ball and maybe you'd go one way or the other. But now with spider tack, a it allows you to control the ball much better, and b with this video you can very much look at your hand and what it's doing while you're throwing the ball. And so you, you, the sophistication of this pitch design and sort of the cheating around it is, is very much using the modern innovations of both spider tack, which was the substance invented for the world's strongest man competitions to hold these big stones and high speed video, um, which allows you to, to visualize what could never be have been 
um, visualized before. And, and that's part of why they now have this crackdown because, you know, Vaseline obviously was, was, was meaningful and it did something to the ball and you try and catch those people, but you didn't really need to sort of change the nature of policing the game. Whereas now effectively, you know, you, you every pitcher is looked at as he watch, walks off the mound. So, you know, we've had to, and, and penalties have been increased as well. Do you think there's a, a particular, or is there a particular player that kind of stands out to you as, as being among the most sort of like cunning and towing the line type of player? You know, I wouldn't say necessarily on the player side. I mean, there's a lot of good stories of how, you know, over the years, players have gotten away with trapping a ball. There's the famous story, Todd, Todd Frazier, a few years ago, the third baseman for the Mets. Um, he was trying to catch a foul ball. He reached into the stands to catch it. Um, and he may or may not, he, he didn't catch he, he came up holding a ball in his mitt that he had picked up off the ground um, and got the out call. And, you know, that was kind of a, a cool move. And I think part of what's interesting about that is just the fact that he thought to, to do that. I mean, I, I think that, you know, only a professional athlete would really be that quick. I mean, you know, I'm just thinking about myself. I'd go over, I'd try to catch it out, but I don't have it. And he sort of had this, in that split second, to grab a ball off the ground or, you know, on the kid's hand or wherever he ended up getting it. Uh, and then he tossed the ball back to the kid, of course. And, you know, just sort of that whole nature. Of, and, and I think that's part of, you know, being a professional ball player. And what's interesting, I would just, one other comment is that you can't, all of this deception, you know, that we sort of all kind of joke about over the years, holding up a trapped ball and claiming you cat caught it with with modern instant replay and, and challenging calls, that, that that all of that, which has been part of the game for, you know, over 100 years is now now gone. Do you think that's a bad thing? No, no, I think it's good. <laughs> I think you want to get the calls right. And, you, you know, I mean, the the, the, the first baseman, a lot of first basemen were taught to pull their foot off the bag a split second early if it was a close play. So it looked like they caught the ball a split second earlier and, and get the out call at first. I, I don't think we want, I mean, you know, I think we want a, an honest game. I mean, so I no, I think it's a good thing that we have these challenges <laughs> just as a complete aside from my own aesthetic of the game is I think if you can't make the call in 30 seconds, either overturn it, then just let the call stand because the idea is to get the really egregious calls out of there. If it's, you know, something that you can't really tell unless you sit there for five minutes and look at it from 40 angles, then, you know, let it be. Yes, I am in full agreement of that. We've got a clock for pitchers to throw the ball. Let's get a clock for reviewing the play, too. I want to give a shout out to to Javi Baez because I think he's he's very good at this is from me just playing sports up to like a high school level. If someone did something unorthodox, it would throw me for a loop, too. And I think he's really good at that. Like he's hugged a player before to like break up a double play he's done the you know i missed the ball trying to cover second when someone was stealing and then he'd like pretend to tag them but you can't tag him or else that's considered impeding so it's he does like a great job of that and then i'm gonna drop this in the show notes because i just love this play so much you might remember this from a couple years ago when he was still with the cubs and he grounded out to the third baseman they were playing the pirates and they throw it to first, and Javi Baez just stops and starts running back towards home. <laughs> and all the first baseman has to do, there's two outs, right. all he has to do is just turn around, step on first base. Gets the first baseman to chase him all the way back to home, 
and then throw the ball to the catcher because there's a runner on third who's trying to score. And Javi <laughs> ends up getting safe to first. And not only to first, but they try to throw him out and no one's covering first. So then he gets into second. And it's just like the most chaotic pandemonium I've ever seen on a baseball field. And it makes me laugh so much. I, I remember that play. That that was a lot of fun to watch. Um, and that, I mean, that that's a great thing. I mean, obviously the, uh, the first baseman had a little bit of a brain lapse there. Um, but, you know... That's part of what makes sports so much fun. Yeah, I think that's that's exactly right. Like you, you, he was not expecting it. He's like, I've never seen this before, and now right. I'm caught up in it, and it, it just makes it so much more entertaining to watch. We talked about the technology and how that's helping, you know, cut down on some of these egregious calls. Do you think baseball as a whole is also, you know, implementing other ways to try and be more ethical and to try to cut down on some of this cheating? Well, let, let me let me frame the question sort of a little different. So I'd say yes. Um, and what what you, what we find, and I don't think this is in any way unique to baseball, is that when you take the most competitive of the competitive people uh, in, men, in in a professional setting, um, and, and George Bamber, the old manager in the Mets and Brewers, said this very well. He said, "We don't play baseball; we play professional baseball." And in many ways, we don't look at necessarily what's right or wrong, we look at, you know, what, what can we get away with and what are the consequences? So in many ways, it's not a moral question. It's a cost-benefit analysis of, hey, I'm playing this game. I want to win. If I try and do this and I'm caught, here's what happens. Um, should, I, should I try and do it? And so I think that if you look at the times in baseball, or in, I, I would say in any sport, or maybe in other areas of life too, when you have, when, when the costs and benefits are mixed, mismatched and it's clear that some sort of cheating is much more beneficial than your likelihood of getting caught or the penalties. If you do, you, you, there, there, there will be a situation of sort of chaos and controversy where you have a lot of cheating. I mean, the 18, excuse me, the 1990s around steroids are a perfect example of that, where people felt there was a clear benefit from taking steroids, and yet there was no way to detect them because there was no testing. And even if you, you somehow were caught, there were not really any penalties in place. And so I, I think that baseball closed that loophole. I think, you know, that's not a loophole. It, it, it tightened that up with the testing. I think that you had that same thing with the spider tech and the um, high-speed video where people could design these pitches. I think we've now pulled back from that a little bit. I think if you take a look at the sign stealing now, um, both with the, with the increased penalties uh, and with the um, pitch com, you know, where the batter, the catcher and the pitcher are now communicating electronically in many cases. You, you've dealt with. So I think that we've baseball has the, 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 the controversies are, are ones that have, have that have been around for the last 20 years, I think, have been generally dealt with. Not to say it won't pop up here or there. I, but, of course, technology changes and there will be new ones. Yeah. And I think the the overall sort of analytical side of things also changes and i have to ask because this is also a rule that's being changed as the shift to the defensive shift are you pleased to see it kind of being cut back like this or are you a fan of it well i i guess i'm generally a fan of if you can figure out where to put your play your your, your place your defenders better than the other team you you ought to be able to do that um just from a cheating perspective, one sort of little nuance, which has been talked a little bit about, and, you know, Mark, Mark and I have talked about it. I saw Jason Stark wrote about it at The Athletic, is that there's no actual rules around where the dirt is. And so if you have a team maybe that has infielders with really strong arms, 
you know, maybe you push the dirt back a little bit. And so you can play your, because you, you, one of the parts of the shift is you have to have, your infielders have to be on the dirt. They can't be on the grass. And so you can set, you can design your infield differently with where the dirt is to take advantage of your, of, of your infielders, which I guess wouldn't necessarily be cheating, but, but clearly it's like moving the, your, you know, your outfield fences in, you know, an off season because you got a bunch of new power hitters. So it could potentially be not even a diamond if it works out that way. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, in, in the rule book, there's actually, there's a guideline of here's what it should look like. And that, but it says, you know, this is just a guideline. So yeah, you're right. I, well, <laughs> I, I mean, that would be ridiculous. You have but... <laughs> to dirt deeper, at, you know, on the second base side, you know, between first and second and between third and short. Yeah. I mean, you're right. You could, I think as soon as that happened, baseball would, you know, sort of legislate against it. But it'd be fun for a little while. That's that's a good point. It's shades of uh, playing Little League where you never <laughs> knew what the fields were going to be like. <laughs> right. Well, think of the old artificial turf fields. Some of those aren't artificial turf fields from the from the 70s and 80s. They didn't even have dirt. Remember, it was just like there was a little dirt around the, around yeah. the, the base. And between the bases, it was just all artificial turf. So I don't even... I mean, I guess you could just draw that white line they used to have on them, but there wasn't even dirt on some of those fields. No, no I'm picturing everyone just huddled around like second base because that's the <laughs> only place they can stand. Oh, that'd be that's amazing. Good. Amazing. <laughs> so one of the questions I always like to ask on this podcast, I say because it's less work for me, is a question you wish you were asked more frequently. And yours is what surprised you? And I assume you mean while you were putting this book together and doing all the research. So what surprised you? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think that there were some stories that I had never seen before. I mean, Mark, Mark and I have done a lot of baseball history research. And I mean, obviously, there was, you know, this sign stealing incident or that roster incident with some you know front office person. That, but one of the more interesting things that I came across that I had never seen referenced before was in 1951, there was baseball's first drug scandal. And it came out in 1951 that Hal Neuhauser who was the 19 who was a pitcher for the Tigers in 1945 he was the MVP of the league that year and he was and the Tigers won the World Series that year largely because Hal Newhouse was a great pitcher um that he had been taking novocaine shots in his shoulder wow and so there and, and no one at the time really knew how to deal with it so you had some of these headlines were Tigers dope their way to World Series and others were simply, you know, Newhouser took Novocaine shot. This was like cortisone, right, to numb the pain so he could pitch. And it, 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 it died off relatively quickly. And I think that what happened is that baseball sort of started on what we, we, we now have, which is that restorative drugs are generally okay, right? Ones that get you back to your natural ability are, are generally viewed as okay, whether that's taking cortisone shots or Tommy John surgery where you have a tendon move from one part of your body to your elbow, but that things that sort of are additive or move performance enhancing move beyond what your quote, your natural ability is, then that goes beyond the pale and you're not allowed to do that. So I don't, and I think a lot of that, you know, and that was, this was really the first, well, A, it was interesting just because it was the first case of any sort of drug scandal and B, I think it, it sort of began to highlight sort of how this differentiation came. And, I, you know, it's obviously why gray area and people can disagree over what, what the meaning of it is. But that, that, that was really interesting to me, how that came about and then how that how sort of the attitude towards drugs evolved. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I've I've got a couple of rapid fire questions for you that are unrelated to that. But uh, it, it, while you were talking of uh, you know bringing them back beyond like what their natural capabilities were, uh, Rookie of the Year, the movie popped into my head where I uh, I think he's ten years old, <laughs> right? And he he you know falls on his shoulder or something, and suddenly his arm is like a slingshot, and he can throw very well. So two questions for you: What is your favorite baseball movie? Well, I'd have to say it's Bull Durham. Um, you know, I like The Natural too, um, but those those would have to be my my favorite too. And of course, I mean, you got to love you know Major League too. It's just sort of funny, and people love those lines. But uh, you know, I don't know that any baseball movie is really a classic in sort of the true classic sense. But you know, they're all fun, and as long as you don't sort of try and make too much out of them, they're I, I think baseball movies are great. Exactly, exactly. I agree wholeheartedly. My other question, this is this might be a little tough to do because we're we're still about I guess a week and a half out from the end of the season, but do you have a champion, a World Series prediction for this year's playoffs? Well, let me I just without so I'm in Minnesota and you know, as of about 2 weeks ago our twins looked like we had a chance and we just had a horrible sort of <laughs> September, so uh I I I'm I'm going to Sunday's game, but that sort of that. I I don't know. I mean, for my first take is is once you, in in the playoffs anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a couple of pitchers get hot or people get hurt or I mean, and we don't even know this this postseason with the extra round with three with the three out of five extra round three out of five series extra round. I, I mean, realistically, I don't know how you pick against the Dodgers in the National League. I mean, they're just really really good, but the Cardinals are playing great. The Braves are playing great. The Mets are good. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'd still pick the Dodgers and. I'd still go with the Astros in the American League. Um, and if I had to pick, I'd pick the Dodgers. But I don't know. I mean, you know, you, you got to win so many games in the postseason to be the world champion now. I mean, and, and teams win from the wild card. You, you know, teams win from the wild card all the time. So who knows? And maybe I just have, um, you know, recency bias, but this does seem like there's a lot of very good teams, uh, which isn't always the case you, you know you've you've usually got like one or two great ones and maybe like one or two very good and it seems like almost everyone is at least very good that's going to make the playoffs so i i think i think it'll be great well i mean if you yeah i mean you look at both leagues i mean i i could see i mean some years you say there's no way that team's going to win right i mean just they're just but you, you take the american league i mean any of the six teams that get in could win i mean the mayor the, the bottom teams the mariners you know i mean the, the blue jays those are good baseball teams. And you say the same thing about the NL. I mean, maybe it's a little different with the Phillies, but, you know, whoever makes it over there is going to have a shot. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll go from 2022, jumping back into the past. We were talking before how I always like to go down a rabbit hole of just like a random, a random guy. Just, you know, remember, remember this guy. Remember like a Ron Gant from the 90s or anything like that. So for our top three, you can pick from from any era of baseball that you want. Maybe maybe someone who played while you were alive. We can keep it to that. But a remember that guy. So your top three remember those guys, guys. Well, one guy that people on the show may not be Greg Gagne, who was the shortstop for the Twins when they won the World Series, I think is a, was a highly underrated player. You know, he was never a great player, but he was pretty solid in the field and he could bat a little bit. And um, he was, he was, you know, and he wasn't particularly... Um, 
charismatic, at least as I remember it. I mean, maybe I just, you know, it's been a long time, <laughs> but he, he was, he was, a, he was a solid player and a, and a key player uh, on those teams. And, and this is going to be, you know, cheating when you ask me this, but um, people have asked me who the best sort of player I ever saw was. And, and I just say when, when Randy Johnson was at his peak and I was going to games here in Minnesota and they were playing, you know, the Mariners back in the day. Um, I mean, he was, I mean, he, he was, it was just fun to watch. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, I don't, that, that was just an, an, an I mean, other, other players, there's other been other great pitchers. I've seen Pedro Martinez and stuff, but Randy Johnson just seemed to have um, a separate gear. And I, I don't really have another great, I mean, I, I would just say the other thing is, is, you know, I'm growing up in Minnesota and my first games being in the late sixties and early seventies, the, the trio of Killebrew, Oliva and Carew. I mean, it was just really fun. They were all really great guys. They were all very much a part of the community for many years. And, um, you know, I made it to Hall of Fame induction this year to see uh, Oliva go in and well, Jim Cott too is a twin who I don't remember quite as well, but you know, that was, those are, those are, those are special guys. I remember uh, growing up, you know, Randy Johnson was was still pitching when I was growing up and and a constant debate would be, you know, oh, do you think you could hit this this major leaguer uh, if they were only throwing fastballs like, you know, don't have to worry about breaking balls or anything. And Randy Johnson was always the one that was collectively we're like, no, like not at all. <laughs> we would just we'd probably even not swing because it would just go by us so fast. So I that's awesome that you got to see him. <laughs> yeah, no, he was uh yeah. Great, great picture. Awesome. Well, Dan, this was so much fun. Thank you for taking the time to chat. If people want to check out the book or learn more about you, where can they find you? So the book's title is Intentional Balk, and our website is intentionalbalkbook.com. So just like it spells out, intentionalbalk, B-A-L-K, book.com. Um, we have links there to where you can buy the book, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, a link to the uh, independent bookstore site where you they'll, they'll hook you up with your independent bookstore and you know all the stuff on our upcoming appearances and other um, stuff about us so that's the place to go well fantastic congrats on the book and uh, enjoy the playoffs <laughs> thank you they should be fun <laughs> yes it should be a great time we got to end with a corny joke as we always do why don't matches play baseball uh, i don't have any idea because it's just one strike and they're out Wow, that's actually not too bad. (laughs) Thank you. That's maybe the best compliment I've gotten on one of these (laughs) chats. Good People, Cool Things is produced in Austin, Texas. If you're a fan of this episode, go ahead and hit that follow button. That helps more people hear the show. You can send me a message, joey at goodpeoplecoolthings.com. Thank you to all of the guests who have been on Good People, Cool Things. You can check out all the old episodes via goodpeoplecoolthings.com. As always, thank you for listening, and have a wonderful day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.